in honor of Mother's Day, I've got a Mother's Day sermon for you. And man, it's a good one. We've got a rich woman, a poor woman, and a guy stuck in between, and there's a pregnancy, and they're fighting over a baby, and God's just trying to keep his promises. How fun does that sound? Sounds like an episode of Jerry Springer, right? Like, what on earth is happening here? Okay, let's dive into it. It's Genesis chapter 16, Sarai and Hagar, and the, the desire to have children and everything else. Here we go. Are you ready? And, and let me just acknowledge this. I know Mother's Day is a ton of fun, and we've got cake balls and pictures and everything else, and I also know that Mother's Day can bring some pain for some people, and I know that Mother's Day can be a difficult time for some people, uh, and, and I just want to acknowledge that. I, I want you to know, more importantly, I, I don't want to acknowledge it. Uh, I want you to see how God acknowledges it in his word. I want you to see how he acknowledges Hagar, who is the outcast single mom, and how he cares for her, and he loves for her, and he ministers to her, and he sees her and hears her and everything else. I want you to see that from God's word, that yes, we're here to celebrate moms and celebrate Mother's Day, but that's not to ignore some of the challenges and pain that comes along with it, and that's okay because God still sees you. God still hears you, and God is still for you. Let me read you the story. Genesis 16 says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abram's, sorry, he's not Abraham yet. Change is coming. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Verse 2, so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a child through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. Here, real quick. I, I know, guys, you don't have this back there. Let's go back to uh, Genesis 12. Let's start in Genesis 12, 7. You just heard what happened, right? You have Abraham and Sarai, and she can't have a baby, and she says, maybe you can, you know, sleep with my servant, get her pregnant, and I'll have a baby through, through her. Okay, well, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, this is the Lord appearing to Abraham and says, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So early on, God shows up to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, you're going to dedicate it to your descendants. In other words, you're going to have children. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. God makes it a lot more clear. One through, let's go through one through five. It says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Listen to Abram. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Hasn't God already promised him descendants? Yet again, he's kind of throwing it out, and he's like, well, what good are all your blessings if one of my servants is going to get them? Verse 4, then the Lord said to Abram, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. 
Crystal clear, right? Abraham, you're going to inherit a land and you're going to have a bunch of descendants. But when it didn't happen according to their plan, what did they do? Do you know what can screw up God's promises for you? Your own plans. You know what can mess up royally what God is trying to do in you, what God is trying to do through you, what God is trying to do for you, making your own plans and holding God's promises hostage to your plan. Saying, God, I, I want you to do this, but I want you to do it my way in the least harmful way to me or at least challenging way for me in the easiest way possible. And I'd like for you to do it within the next six months. That's my plan for you, God. So we give God our plan and we try to take his promises. And here's what you're going to see, the tension between the two, right? Because Sarai is trying to keep God's promises within her own plan. Hagar is like, God, whatever you want. Whatever you're doing, I don't know, but I'll follow you and I'll listen to you. Watch where the blessing lies, okay? So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Verse 4. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. I want you to circle that word if you have it. It just means to, it, it means what she's doing is she's saying, I'm pregnant now, this isn't your baby. Okay, because when Sarai, when Hagar was Sarai's servant, that was just a surrogate. Someone carrying the baby for you. She's like, oh, just, in fact, it's pretty interesting, right, that Sarai never calls Hagar by her name. What does she call her? My servant. Oh, that's just my servant. Doesn't even give her a name. Doesn't give her any sort of dignity at all. She is just the means by which I accomplish my plan and hold God hostage in his promises. So she says, hey, hey, just, just take my servant, sleep with my servant. She holds her in contempt, meaning Hagar said this. No, 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 I'm having this baby and this baby's going to be mine. I'm having this baby and you can't take this baby from me. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. <laughs> it's Mother's Day, so I'll be nice. <laughs> Whose idea was it? Never mind. Okay, here we go. I put my servant into your arms, says Sarai. Again, what does she do? She just calls her servant. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Classic male reply. Abram replied, look, she's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. This is your problem, not mine. You figure it out. Look, she's your servant. Do with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. I want you to understand the severity of what we just read. When a servant runs away, they could be punished all the way up to death. So Hagar just signed her death sentence by running away. Sarai made it miserable for her as a pregnant single mom. She's pregnant. She's a servant. She's, she's having to endure all of this challenge from Sarai to the point where she said, I'll risk my own life and leave. I'm leaving this place. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. 
The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Where have we heard that before? Verse 11. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and I will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. Sounds like my son. He, he will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Verse 13, therefore Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Laha Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Berid. So Hagar gave Abraham a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So what do we have? We've got a single servant who's pregnant. We've got a woman trying to take the baby and control God's promises, and we have God right in the center of it just trying to deliver faithfully his promises that he's given to each person. My uh, son, I, I have this thing that we do in our house where um, it's really important to me to honor the promises that I make to my kids. I want them to know that dad means what he says and dad will follow through. And they have figured out if they force me into a promise that uh, I, will, I will fulfill that with them. One great example is a couple months ago, it had just it had just barely sun started shining. It was in like the 60s and we have this, this stock tank pool that we built and it had water in it still and Canaan was like, it's sunny out and it's, I, I'm so sick of this winter. I just want to go swimming. I said, son, go for it. And he said, but I don't have anybody to swim with me. Manipulation, right? He knew what he, exactly what he was doing. He was talking to me and I was like, darn it, I can't stand when my kids say stuff like that. So I was like, fine, I'll swim with you. And he said, do you promise? I said, I promise, pal. When we get home, I'll swim with you. So I, and then I kind of realized what I had just said and I was like, dang it. I'll just try to distract him. Hope he forgets. So I'm like, you want to play Minecraft? You want to watch YouTube? You know, he's like, no, we're swimming. I was like, dang. So we go and we, we get in the backyard and he was like, daddy, you promised the water was Oh, it was freezing. It felt like a polar plunge. And he was like, Dad, you can't not swim. You So here I am. I just, you know, baptized myself. One fall into this freezing cold water. Pop back out, get out, fulfilled my promise, right? So now we have this new thing because I realized my promises mean something to my son, right? To all of my children. So now, yesterday he was like, Dad, can we make these brownies when we get home? I said, no, nah, son, I can't agree to that. He's like, dad, come on, can we please, do you, will you just promise me we can make brownies? I said, no, nah, I, can't, I can't make that promise to you. And he said, okay, dad, promise maybe that we'll make the brownies. <laughs> do you promise maybe? I said, I, I can get on board with that one. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. I, I promise maybe that we'll make brownies. He said, dad, promise maybe. 
Promise maybe, pal. We're good. So it's coming up on bedtime, and he's like, Dad, uh, are we going to make the brownies? I said, no, we're not going to make the brownies. But he said, Dad, but you promised maybe. And I said, I know, but, but what does promise maybe mean? He said, it means that promise maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. So I'll go to bed, right? Uh, parenting hack, promise maybe is a great get out of jail free card. Just <laughs> promise maybe, pal. That's what we'll do. But do you know something? And this is what I love about God. Do you know there's no such thing as promise maybe with God? Do you realize there's no such thing as promise maybe? Yet sometimes we may approach his promises like, I know this is your promise, but is there a maybe here? In fact, I love 2 Peter 1 verse 4. It says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In other words, God has promises for you and promises that will lead to freedom, and there is no promise maybe about it. Nobody makes this more clear than Paul to the Corinthians. I love when we sing this song, yes and amen, because here's what the scripture says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. In other words, there are no promises that God makes that are maybes. There are no promises that God makes that God doesn't keep. If God makes the promise, that is our authority. That's why studying scripture is so important. That's why walking in prayer is so important because the Holy Spirit will recall to mind the promises that God gave you and that become your foundational authority for what you live by. You don't live by the sway of the world. You don't live by what Instagram tells you, or you don't live by what you Google. We live according to the promises of God in his word, and there is no promise maybe. What happened when Sarai was operating with a promise maybe? She nearly tanked the whole thing by having her husband sleep with her servant, right? What happened to Hagar when Hagar, in the middle... <clears throat> of rejection and in the middle of being thrown out and in the middle of signing her own death sentence, just decided with walk with God. She just held on long enough to see God's promises protect her. If you are in here today and you feel like you are just holding on, you are in good company with Hagar. And you will see through this scripture as we walk through it, what, what will God do for me if I hold on to his promises? If I cling to what he has said to me, what will he do in my life? Let's look at the first one, Genesis 16, 8 through 10. It says, the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She replied, the angel of the Lord. That's important. Circle. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Verse 10. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. What does he say to Hagar? If you will just hold on. If you will just 
hold on. I will protect you, and I will protect you long enough to see these promises fulfilled in your life. Fifty-eight times the, the phrase, the Hebrew phrase, angel of the Lord, is used in the Old Testament. If you go through the top eight stories, the angel of the Lord is synonymous with God himself throughout the story, okay? So here's what I mean by that. Sarai or Hagar is saying, the angel of the Lord saw me, the angel of the Lord told me this, yet at the very end, what does she say? I have seen the one who sees me. She's referring to God. So she's saying the angel of the Lord was speaking, but it was a synonymous manifestation with who God is. This is important to understand. The angel of the Lord was not a messenger. It was a manifestation. We're going to come all the way full circle back to this. But the angel of the Lord was not merely a messenger. It was a manifestation of God. And the manifestation carried a revelation. What was the revelation? Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Remember, a servant who runs away is worthy of death penalty. And what did God just do? God sent her back to her dysfunction. What was the only difference? The only difference was he promised, I will give you more descendants than you can count. God's promise and God's presence went with Hagar as she went back to the place of her dysfunction. Do you know that God can call you back to a space of dysfunction? And if his blessing and his presence goes with you, he can bless you through it? Yeah? We there? You believe that today? That God can call you back to a house that you think is a disaster right now and redeem your marriage and redeem your family and bring your kids back home? Do we believe that God is the God who keeps his promises? And hey, it may seem dysfunctional now, but if God goes with me, he can bless me through the dysfunction that I'm going through. Do we need to flip a few pages to the story of Joseph? And see, Joseph is a man who faced every bit of dysfunction you can face. He faced every bit of challenge that you can face. And yet, what does God do? Continues to bless him, continues to bless him, continues to bless him. In other words, your circumstance doesn't dictate God's providence. Your circumstance can't stop what God is trying to do if God is the one who is protecting you, if God is the one who is sending you, if his promises are your baseline of authority in your life. I love Acts 5, 38 through 39. Gamaliel, a philosopher, is talking to people who are opposing the work of Paul. And listen to what he says. He says, so my advice here is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. Verse 39. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. He says, listen, if it's of God, you're not stopping it. No matter how powerful you are, how much money you have, how influential you are, if this is of God, you're not stopping it. And if it's not of God, it's not going anywhere anyway. So why worry about it? You know there's no competition for God's plan in your life. You know that, right? There's no competition for God's plan for our church. We're not competing with other churches. If this is of God, it's going to go. If it's not of God, it won't. 
We're not competing with anyone else. You're not competing with other people. You are simply living. You see what happens when God's promises become your final authority. Then you're not competing with people. You're just living for promise. You're just serving the God who has promised to care for you, to look out for you, to protect you in the middle of what you are going through. His promises become this blanket shelter of authority that nothing else can get through. You guys know the rules of vampires, right? Know the rules of vampires? The older crowd is like, I knew this church was off. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, I'm talking about, uh, there's this show that we watched years ago. What was it? Vampire Diaries, that's exactly right. <laughs> I'm cool, I'm relevant, right? <laughs> we watched this Vampire Diaries show, and there was, this, there was this scene where, okay, so vampires cannot go into a house they haven't been invited into, right? 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 They can't go in unless they've been invited in. And there is this scene where Elena, there's these vampires that want to kill Elena, who is this girl caught in between two brothers, you know, Damon and Stefan. Damon and Stefan. I'm so glad you guys are here today. So Elena's caught between the crosshairs of Damon and Stefan, and all of these vampires turn on Damon and Stefan, and they want to kill Elena. And so what do they do? They give Elena the deed to their house, yes. sign it over to her, and all of a sudden, none of the vampires that want to kill Elena can enter into the house because she hasn't invited them in. So it just builds to the scene where she's in the front door and the front door's kind of left open and Damon and Stefan have set this trap and they're waiting for them to show up and the bad vampires are looking out there and then you see them come rushing in and they get stopped right at the front door. And they're like, why can't we cross in? And Elena's like, I got the deed to the house. Like, you can't come in here, right? That, that is, that is, come on, this is great youth pastor preaching right now. That is, that is exactly what God's promises are for us. God's promises are a giant stop sign to anything that is trying to deter you from what God is trying to do. You know what lets them in? Our plans. You know what lets them in? When we start making plans and we start messing with what God's trying to do. We start trying to manipulate what God is trying to do. But when God's presence is with you, when he is protecting you, he can send you back to Sarai who is waiting to take your head off and protect you and your descendants that come after you. Next. Genesis 16:11. Man, we're getting into some really good stuff here. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. I love this, that the, the name he gives him is God hears, plural, in future tense. In other words, what he's saying is God hasn't heard, God hears. God hasn't heard the things of the past, God hears you right now. Here it is in future tense as well. Exodus 2, 23 through 24. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their God rose and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that say? It says they were crying again and what did God do? He remembered his promise of I am the God who hears so I will hear you. 
It is, again, 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he hears. His ears are attentive to their prayers. The Lord hears us, and the Lord keeps hearing us. I have spent years, eight of them to be exact, listening to baby monitors. Moms, can you connect with that? Like we just, these monitors that go, they're, they're video and they have audio and you listen to your kid cry all night. I'm like, shut the thing off, right? They'll still be there in the morning, but we listen to them cry all night long. So now I'm at this place where like it could be three o'clock in the middle of the morning, in the middle of the night, in a thunderstorm, the monitor is under three pillows and I'm in rim stage four and that baby starts crying. I'm like, oh, baby's crying. Wake up. Hey. And I, I, can, I can just hear the baby cry. Right? I know the cries of my children. It's crazy. There was a time where I was preaching in here and I heard a scream out in that hallway and I knew it was Zion. I instantly, do you remember this? I am up here preaching. I hear the scream. I look down at Anna. She's like this. She goes through here, disappeared. And I'm just, I'm trying to keep things going. But where was my attention? It wasn't on you. It was on the cries of my children, right? Parents, can't you do that? I know the cries of my babies like that. The second I hear it, I know God is saying, I am the God who hears. And when I hear you cry, I respond. Maybe you just need to hear that today. Maybe you need to remind yourself that God hears you that God is listening to you. Listen to Psalm 18.6. It says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reaches his ears. Imagine being Hagar. Imagine running for your life and putting your life on the line while you're pregnant and the only life that you have ever known has turned on you, has rejected you, has thrown you out to the woods, literally, and the angel of God appears to you when you're on your own and you have nobody to support you, nobody to encourage you, nobody to love you, and the angel says, you have a son and here's what you need to name him. God hears because God hears you. God is listening to you. He is attentive to you. And this is what I love about him. He doesn't just hear us. He sees us. He doesn't just hear us. He sees us. This is full circle. Remember, it was not a messenger. It was a manifestation that God showed up to Hagar. Listen to this. Genesis 16, verse 7. This is how it started. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar, found her beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Here's how it ends. Genesis 16, verse 13. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, this is incredible, have I truly seen the one who sees me? You know, there is no other character in the Old Testament that renames God outside of Hagar. They rename lands, they rename animals, they rename children in honor of God. Hagar is the only 
person to rename God, to give God a different name. And, and here's what's amazing about it. God receives it. God receives it. Think about how all of it started. Exodus chapter 3, Moses is called by God to go to the children of Israel and to prophesy to them. And he says, who am I going to tell that sent me? He's like, the name's not important. Tell him I am said it. Tell him the I am's coming. All you need to know is that God is showing up. Yet when Hagar, who is broken, desperate, and alone, comes before God, God hears her. She renames him God who sees me. And what does David do in the Psalms? He calls out to the God who sees him, Elroy. And what does God do? God responds. Hagar renamed God. And God responds to it. He receives it. Now, here is what is even more amazing. And then she asked this question at the end. She said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Recount for a moment all of the Old Testament stories, and we've covered some, whether it's touching the Ark of the Covenant or it's entering into the most holy place. What happened when people went to a space they weren't supposed to be in and they encountered a holy God being unclean? They didn't live. They didn't live to tell about it. And yet what is Hagar saying here? She's saying, but does God, the God who sees me, did I just see him? In other words, God doesn't just see you, but God allows you to see him as well. You talk about a relational God. You talk about a transformational revelation for you. God did not just say, I see you, but God said, I see you. Here I am. Now you can see me. Here's what that means. God saw you when you went through your divorce. And it was painful, and it was filled with hurt, and it was filled with loss. And now he says, see me in your remarriage. See me in what I've done. God was with you when you lost that child. And now God is saying to you, see me in the children that I'm giving you. God was saying, I see you when you were broke and you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills and your whole family was struggling. Now see me at this new opportunity. See me in this new job. Do you, do you see it now? Do you see the story of Hagar? Do you see why she asked such a question? Like, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? In other words, was this holy, righteous, glorious God willing to show himself to me and allow me to live to testify of it? If that's not, if that doesn't, if that doesn't stir something in your soul, I don't know what else would. That not only do you have a God that sees you, but he allows you to see him as well. He allows you to see him move. He allows you to see him work. You know, I have this thing that I do with my kids. I read this story of a grown man who lived his entire life with identity issues. And he, he said they all stemmed from his own father would never take the time to acknowledge him when he walked into a room. His own dad uh, wouldn't look away from the TV or take his eyes up from the newspaper to simply say, hey, sport, how are you? Good to see you. 
glad you're home, buddy. And he said he's lived his entire life questioning who he is, questioning his identity, questioning his worth, simply because his own father wouldn't take a moment to see him, right? So I've made it this point in my life that every time I see my kids, I go nuts. Every, I mean, you've probably experienced it, right? After church, you and I are in a conversation and that curly yellow haired kid comes running through these aisles. And the moment he and I lock eyes for the first time, the first thing I do is say, my son, my boy. When I see my little girl come up here on stage and she's spinning in circles, I say, my girl. When I see my little 18 month old drunken waddling toddler, just like, you know, like, like waddling around. The first thing I say is my boy. I want them to know that I see them. And so Canaan was out here one day and, and he was running through the hallway and there was this big group of college kids out there. And, you know, he's at that place where he's real cool, man. He's got tall socks and a chain on, you know, you don't mess with that kid. And so he's, he's running through the hallway here and he and I lock eyes and I see him and he sees me. And I said, my son and all the college, kids, yeah, it's Canaan. All right. And he got real shy. He turned red. He's like, mm -hmm. he's like oh. and so we got in the truck and I said to him, I said, hey, bud, I said, did I embarrass you when I yelled my son at you? And he said, yeah, yeah, you, you embarrassed me, you embarrassed me. And I said, well, do you not want me to do that anymore? And he said, no, no. He said, it was embarrassing, but it still feels good. It was embarrassing, but it, it, still, it still felt good for you to see me. God sees us. We have to remind ourselves of that. You've never been anonymous in God's sight. You've never been anonymous in God's sight. You may feel like you walk through hallways anonymous. You walk through your own home anonymous. You walk through your workplace anonymous. You may feel that way, but you have never been anonymous in God's sight. And here is the most beautiful part of the revelation. Not only does he see you, but what do we get to do? We get to see him too. 